0: Good morning, welcome to Buffalo, from the uh, Well, I want to read from Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, in verse 6 through 9. It said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee, but by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou, therefore, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So, this is the epistle to Timothy, and... Paul writes two of them. This is the second one. But the first one he writes, he wrote it from Laodicea. And the second one he writes from Rome, which we know that the church of Laodicea, that that was a very wealthy church. It was a very wealthy community. But this one's actually being written from Rome, which Rome was like the powerhouse of the world at the time. They were the ones running, I guess, uh, they were pretty much running all government. But... In the epistles, he's always constantly talking about putting things into remembrance. But an epistle is actually something that's written from somebody that's from the communion table with God. And he keeps on telling Timothy to put these things in remembrance. uh, Because this is where Satan can, can really get in and try to work. He said, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Well, Sometimes we can get so caught up in the world and, you know, the good, the things and with, when wealth comes that we forget about the gift and we start to take the things for granted. And he said, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Well, yes, let's see here. The spirit of fear, especially whenever you get to looking at Laodicea. And what Jesus was saying to them, you know, they, what they were counting to be godliness was not godliness at all. They thought that by great gain and great material things. But he tells us in First, in first Timothy that godliness with contentment is, that is, is great gain, according to God. It's almost where Satan will almost put on a secondary thing of what we think is pleasing to God versus what really is pleasing to God. He said, but be thou, therefore, be not thou, therefore, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Well, you know, it's almost kind of like you try to get you to a point to where you begin this walk with the Lord. And then you kind of just, it's almost like you had a, a bad expect, another expectation of what it should be. And it's not quite the, what it turned out. But that's the thing is we have to study to see what God's expectation is and not our own. And uh, he said, who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So. When I kind of get to looking at this, I get to thinking about the disciples. When they were walking with Jesus, and Jesus said, Hey, let's get into the boat and let's go to the other side. They didn't have a clue as to where they were going, they just were going. And they get out there and a tempestuous wind comes and the seas get to rolling and waving and well, next thing you know, Jesus is asleep. And they're, you know, they said they ran to him and they said, Master, Master, we perish. Well, when I read this, it's kind of the same thing that I see in life. You know, he said, "Stir up the gift." The gift is Jesus Christ. It's any that we ever get off, we can always go right back to Him as the reference, as the guide. He is the power. He's the love, and uh, He's the one that gives us the the sound mind. He's the one that sets us free from the things of the world, the things that they count to be of worth. And we get all that through the gospel. And so, let's hope that this morning that we, like brother. Uh, Josh said earlier that we stay focused upon the Lord and be here to worship Him this morning. Go, Lord, in prayer. Lord, we just thank you again for another opportunity to be able to gather here in your in your house this morning, Lord. We uh, we just thank you that we're able to come and sing songs unto you, Lord. And Lord, uh. I just ask that you be with us this morning, Lord. Lord, just uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit. I ask you to be with Brother Josh this morning, Lord, That so you just give him liberty, Lord, and just speak through him. Lord, we ask you to be with Brother Kevin where he is this morning I ask you to bless him and that Lord, that you, know, you bless that congregation as well. Lord, we just lift up our nation to you, Lord, that you just continue to be merciful to us, and Lord, to, to have you pour out your grace upon us. And Lord, we uh, just ask that you be with all those that are sick and couldn't be here this morning. Lord, the others that couldn't be here. Lord, that you just bless us. uh, We just thank you and we love you. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: To speak on a subject this morning concerning um, the importance of the church, and as brother was speaking and during the prayer, uh, I would like to go to Matthew chapter 18. This is actually a subject I got to speak on a little bit last week, and uh, I was at Old Gibson last week, and uh, brother. Uh, Dennis had actually invited two preachers <laughs> and forgot, <laughs> and uh, so I, don't, I only stood for about maybe 20 minutes or so, and uh, it was kind of quick, and uh, this kind of all just came back to me, and last weekend, uh, we were at you know, Brother Chase's, uh, Sister April's wedding, which I, I fully anticipated last Sunday, y'all should have had a full house, and uh but anyway, me and Brother Josh Winslet, uh, which I've never got to hang out with Brother Josh uh, for an extended period of time, which I did this weekend, and he brought up a, a scripture in Matthew 18. And it's something as he was talking about it there at the table, he didn't really speak on it uh, just very long, but it was uh, what the few words that he said, the Lord really intrigued my mind with this thought. And uh, since then, it's kind of been on my mind, I even to last night talked to brother kevin a little bit about it and kind of tell him the things that are on my mind and uh and trying to be prayerful and uh be led by the spirit uh i trust this morning this is of him and i would beg your prayers as i stand before you that this would be the message for us this morning so in matthew 18 it says in verse 1 at this at the same time came the disciples unto jesus Saying, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?" This is uh, this is a question that uh, is, I believe, it's mentioned all four times in the Gospels. It's a question that men have. It's a question that not only do we have uh, in the world, uh, we have it uh, in sports, we have it in our own minds, we have it in our jobs, we have it in the church, uh, we have it in the kingdom. The question that Uh, and I, you know, and I would, because I'm a man, I would say maybe, maybe, maybe it's more prevalent among men to have this question, but I'm going to say it applies to you ladies too. The question is, and it's, it's a, it's a real question. Okay. When I first read it, and right off the cuff, I kind of think, man, these guys, this this really just shows their sinfulness. This really just shows how depraved they are and the depravity of man. But on the flip side, it is a real question. And I'm thankful that the scriptures bear out real questions that even though they might be ignorant and and they might be vain, but the disciples had this question and they went to the Lord and asked the Lord. They were real with the Lord. I like that. I like that they, can, they feel comfortable and confident enough in their God, in Jesus, that they can go to him with what we might look at and say, that's a foolish question. But they were real. And Jesus is going to give them a real answer. So they go to him. And again, uh, this applies to us today. We should have this question, don't we? Here about 3 o'clock, I'm going to be playing Ultimate Frisbee. And there's going to probably be about 10 or 12 guys that show up. And I'm going to tell you, I desire greatly to dominate, to be the best on the field today. You young men can understand that. The older ones are probably thinking, yeah, I remember those days. But it's still a question that we have sometimes. And we consider it throughout all walks of life young to old who's the greatest? Who's doing the best job? Who gets recognized? This is a question these men had concerning the kingdom. That's interesting. So they go to Jesus and they said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, you would think they would know this walking with Jesus, right? You would think they would know this answer. Who's the greatest? Jesus is the greatest. Amen. You would think they would know this answer. But they're not necessarily asking this question concerning Jesus. They're asking this question concerning everybody else but Jesus. So they, again, ask this question, who's the greatest? They want to know who's the greatest. They want to know who Jesus recognizes, okay, the most, if you will. Again, this is a real question, and it's a question we should consider, okay, because, again, it does apply to us today, and look at it from this angle. And I I I, I know I've spoken this. I don't know if I've spoken on it here. But has the Lord ever been ashamed to call you his son or daughter? You know, we act in a way sometimes that's shameful, is it not? I know that I've acted in a way before that I would... You know, I've done stuff in my life that I know without a shadow of doubt that if folks would have known about it, it would have disgraced my daddy's name, right? I know my children have done things in life, and, uh, and I look at them, and I think back, and I think, man, if people knew about that, they'd probably think, man, uh, oh, Josh, he don't do very good raising his children. You know, we, this happens. So it's a, it's a real question. So they say, "Who's the greatest in the kingdom?" And Jesus called a little child unto Him. Now this is uh, this is His own unique way that He's going to give them a perfect answer, because Jesus is perfect. Amen? Amen. He spoke every word. Every word He ever spoke was perfect. Every act He ever did was perfect. It always had intent. It always had completeness. And this is what he did. Is he calls a little child in the midst to sit before him. Now, I find this interesting that he does this because, you know, the disciples were really, uh, they were kind of hard on, on children, weren't they? You remember when the children would come at different <clears throat> points in time, you remember they would, they would rebuke the children. And you remember Jesus would say, no, don't rebuke those little children. And he, he said this. Often, multiple times to him. So here is a setting where it's just Jesus and his closest 12. And they have this question. And how does he answer it? He, he brings in a child. And I'm sure they're thinking, well, why is he doing this? What's the point of this? So he brings this little child in and sets him in the midst of them. This little Boy, this little child, and he sits him in the midst of them. And I can just imagine the things going through their mind. Well, isn't he going to answer us? <laughs> that would be my first one. What's, what's this child doing here? How's he going to answer my question with this child? You know, men can't see around the corner. You know, we can't. We have expectations of what we think the answer uh, might kind of look like. But Jesus is outside the norm, is he not? Mm-hmm. And things that he does that, that, are, that are in the Bible that we have an examples of, you know, they just don't fit what we in our natural minds expect. Because, see, we're natural. And he is what? He's spiritual, is he not? He is God, the creator. And I don't want to come back to that. I want y'all to keep that in mind, the creator. So he brings this, this little boy, this little child, sets him in the midst, and he says, Verily or truly, I say unto you. All right? Now he's speaking to his disciples here, but the words that he's speaking are for us today. I want y'all to remember that. And, and they don't apply to age groups. The words that he's going to speak they apply to the smallest ones in here to the oldest ones in here. They apply to every one of us. He says, Truly, I say to you, except ye be converted. Converted. What is converted? What is converted? What's that that word mean? Now, I could look up and give you a Webster's Dictionary, but think about being converted. What's that actually mean? See, you might be on a, a specific path or you might be on a specific mindset of what you think or what you uh, have learned by other folks or what you maybe even believe, okay? But conversion comes when you either experience something that changes your perspective, okay? That would be a conversion, okay? Give you a real simple one. When I was little, and I'm just kind of making this up as a hypothetical here, but let's say when I was little, I believed that I could drive on any side of the road. I could drive on the right hand or the left hand. It doesn't matter. That's kind of ignorant, isn't it? But see, when you're young or when you haven't had the experience to teach you something, that's what ignorance is. It's just really not knowing. But you have this thought, maybe. Maybe you've seen it. Or maybe, you know, you saw it on TV or something. So, you know, I I get my 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 truck one day, or actually when I'm a kid, I get on my foiler one day. And I'm gonna go ride down the road, and I don't care about left side or right side. And that actually sounds like me when I was a kid. And when I'm going around a corner, turning left, I'm on the left-hand side. And when I'm going around a corner on the right, I'm on the right-hand side. But one day when I'm going around a left-hand corner, guess what? Somebody's coming in their lane and I'm on the wrong side and I have to dart off in a ditch or dart back to the right side. What has happened is my mind has been converted to the truth. What's the truth? That there is a left hand and there is a right hand. There is a correct way to drive up and down the roadways. Right? That's being converted. That's a conversion. Believe in something until experience sometimes teaches you very, in a (laughs) realistic way or a very hard way, the truth. So Jesus says, except ye be, talking to his 12 disciples. Now think about this now. These are men. These are grown men that have been walking with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, they got experience with life. They've dealt with life for years. Okay? They're not amateurs at life. But he says this, except ye be converted. That almost doesn't sound right, does it? You know me, I'm 40 this year. If you came to me and told me that I got to convert to something, I would listen. But what he's fixing to say goes against what the world teaches. What's he going to say? He says, except you be converted and become as little children. What? What do you mean? You mean I have to throw experience to the wind. I have to forget about what I've <clears throat> lived through my whole life and you want me to become as a, as a little child because what's, what are children like? Anna's, I'm glad you're listening, Anna. <clears throat> what are children like? Children are pretty black and white, aren't they? My six-year-old back there, she's pretty black and white. But the older we get, what happens? Great. Kind of comes around, doesn't it? You experience more things in life. And now what was so exactly right and what was so exactly wrong, now they, they start to kind of cross lines and you start to think and ponder. And, and that's what growing up, as sad as it is to say, has a lot to do with. But children are very black and white. Children are very trustworthy. They'll trust anybody. I don't think my 6 year has met a stranger yet, <laughs> but we teach them, don't we not? We go, we teach them. Beware of strangers. Don't just trust anybody. But see, to a six-year-old, that doesn't mean much. It really doesn't, because they haven't experienced what we don't want them to experience. They're very black and white, very trustworthy. That's what the Lord says that we have to become. Think about that. He says, what you experience out here in this world, what you're walking through, what you're trying to attain to, when it comes to my kingdom, when it comes to uh, worshiping me and walking with me, and you want to, and their question is, you want to know who's the greatest in this spiritual kingdom that's mine. You got to forget all that, all this world out here, and you got to become black and white Very trustworthy. You gotta go back to being as or becoming as a little child. He says, except you be converted. It's almost a reverse conversion, isn't it? But see, it's really not. It's really not. It is a forward conversion. It's It's a forward conversion. It only applies to the spiritual kingdom. It doesn't apply to the world. We have to remember that. If you try to take this knowledge. And you try to apply it. To worldly things. It's not going to work is it? It's not going to take. Uh, you know 20, 30, 40. You know one year of experience doing something. To throw that experience to the wind and to become as a little child where you really just don't know how long enough. That's not gonna work in the world, is it? But that's how it works in the kingdom of God. That's so interesting, isn't it? That's how it works in the kingdom of God. And what I really like about this, and this is how the Lord has set it up, and again, the the what I like about it is because I know again. That it applies to everyone. Because how do we come into this world? We come in as a babe, right? As a babe. So Jesus says to attain unto this, unto this mindset, it doesn't take a great deal of education. It doesn't take a great deal of of experience. It doesn't take some great deal of belief or walk. Think about that. If my youngest one came down this morning and she says, I believe in Jesus and that's all she said, how many of you would yay or nay but yea, give a yes when the question was asked for the congregation: Would well, do we accept her to be a member here at this local assembly? How many of you would yea? Every one of you would, would you? What true understanding does she know, other than what she might profess or what she would profess? Is I believe in Jesus, which she does, by the way. She just hadn't done it publicly. She loves the Lord. She talks about Jesus all the time. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty astounding, isn't it? He says except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom, you know, we this is the Lord's king. You know, he was born a king. Baby Jesus was born king. And not just any king. He was born the king of kings. The Lord of lords. And his kingdom is here. We live in it. You know, we're kings. You know, the Bible tells us that we're kings and priests. And his kingdom. His kingdom is right here and right now. That's what that's talking about here. See, we enter in and enter out. If you go over to John, I believe it's... John 12, y'all forgive me, when he talks about the sheep gate, you remember that he talks about that, uh, that he is the shepherd and he's also the gate. And you remember this, this, uh, this place that we get to enter into. We enter in by him, he's the gate, but he's also the shepherd that led us in. And then what happens? He shuts the door and this, it's a place of safety, is it not? And then also, we get to go out and we get to uh, uh, go out and graze in the pastures. But see, sometimes out there grazing in a pasture out there in the world can be dangerous, can't it? It can. But we have a great shepherd. See, we enter in and enter out. We enter in and then we, we leave. And hopefully we're still in. But what can happen? What the, like the brother said, you know, when you're in a storm, you can get distracted by life, can't you? And when you're distracted, it's like that. You... Leave the kingdom for a moment. He was talking about a storm when Jesus was on the boat and he was asleep. I like the storm when Jesus wasn't on the boat and they, they were in this, another storm and they were fearing. And what happened? The Lord came and walked on water and they feared greatly. They thought he was a spirit. But he said, It is I. And Peter said, Lord, if it, if it is you bid me come. And you remember, he, he got out of that ship and he walked to the Lord on water. But he had his eyes focused on Jesus. He was focused on the Lord. And that's the only way that we can walk through storms. That's the only way that we can walk on water spiritually is by looking, keeping our eyes on the Lord. Because what happened to Peter? He took his eyes off the Lord for just a moment. It was just a moment in time, just a brief half second. He saw the, 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 the storm. That's what he saw. And he took his eyes off Jesus or so whatever. He sank. He began to sink. That's how quick it is. But I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, aren't you thankful this morning? That your creator even though we're weak and we take our eyes off of Jesus, But I'm going to tell you, when you begin to sink out in the world and you cry to your Lord, you know He is willing to reach down and to grab you. I'll tell you what I'm thankful this morning. We enter in and out. We enter in when we call upon Him, when we look towards Him. But see, these these two natures we got in us, that... That new man that wants, that, that wants to be as a child. That wants to cry to Jesus. That wants to keep focus on him. Because you know children, you know, while they're little, they like mom and daddy. They really do. But you know, I remember probably around age 14 or so. That, that view kind of started changing a little bit, didn't it? Kind of start getting rebellious. Start thinking you know everything. I mean, somebody's having a conversation. You know, when I was 18, I was invincible. I really was. I mean, no, I really wasn't. <laughs> but in my mind, I was. I thought I knew everything. I thought I was invincible. I had a truck that do about 120, and I buried my foot in everywhere I went. I was invincible. But I really wasn't. There were several years there that I don't know how few times I didn't enter into the kingdom. But you know, when I, when I came past all that and the Lord brought me through it, I'm going to tell you, by His providence, He brought me through all those rebellious years of mine. And He allowed me to enter back in. And when I was back in and I looked back and I thought about those years that I wasn't in, but he still brought me through it. That set me in awe. It gave me a lot of questions, too. One big question is, why, Lord? I'm nobody. I'm not anything special. I was so ignorant and rebellious. I can't believe you just didn't just let me go on off into wherever I thought I was heading. But for some reason, He's shown me glimpses of his amazing love. And that's all that I can figure, uh, you know, just very, in my minute my, my, my head can grasp is that's, it's because he loved me. And, I, and again, now that I have children, they're growing up. And I think about, you know, if they get to a point in life where they start to rebel against my teachings and the way I want them to live, You know, would I get to a point where I would just cast them away and just let them go? The Lord didn't to me. He always loved me. Just like I'll always love them. Just like your parents will always love you. Just like if you got kids, you always love your kids. When he's talking about here to be converted, it's to dwell. It's to, when we enter into... To think on God and why he has allowed us to just know some very small things that we know about him. You know, the mind of God, you know, you go over to Romans chapter uh, 11. Then read the end of it and it talks about, you know, who has been his counselor. You go to Isaiah 55, 11, uh, you, you, you read, you know... His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Who who can know the mind of God? Who can understand the love of God? Who can grasp the purpose of God? I mean, these things are just so much higher and far above us. But yet he gives us glimpses of his grace, doesn't he? He gives us moments of his love. He gives us sometimes extended periods of his peace. Why? He's not obligated to. It's because he loves us. It's because he loves us. And if there's nothing else my girls know about me, I want them to know that I love them. He says, except you be converted and become as little children. There's another aspect of this. To become as a little child is to, again, kind of have the mind of a child. When I do things around the house or whatnot, Allie, my youngest, will watch me and she'll just say, Wow, Daddy, you're strong. Which you know, I'm really not compared to you know, you know I got a tractor. You know, you get a tractor doing things. Tractor can be real strong, <laughs> you know. So I'm really not. But see, she's again. She's just so black and white that when she sees things, she just kind <clears> of <throat> will be in awe, if you will. The word awesome is a common word in 2021, isn't it? It's a word that's not used right here, but it's kind of the same thought of what the disciples had. They want to know who's the most awesome in the kingdom, who's the greatest. And again, awesome, you can't find the word awesome in the Bible, but the word all, A-W-E, is found three times in the Bible and the The three times it's found is only in the Psalms. Think about that. The word all. If you will, I'm going to catch one of these, and it's Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, in verse 8, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. You know, back in Genesis, it tells us, in the first chapter 2 there, that God created, it says in verse 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Think about that. God created the heaven and the earth out of nothing. He created everything out of nothing. That's about the most amazing thought concerning creation that I can come up with. I'm glad the Bible gave it to me. I couldn't have come up with that on my own. He created everything out of nothing. He spoke and it stood fast. I want y'all to think about that. He spoke one time, and it stood fast until he's going to wrap it all up. That means the sun that he created, that we enjoy each and every day of our lives, brings forth herbs and plants, you know, everything he spoke. And it stood fast. Genesis chapter 8 tells us that there will always be a seed time. There will always be a harvest. There will always be a fall. There will always be a winter. You don't have to go off and start studying evolution or global warming. Because I'm going to tell you, the Lord has declared at the very beginning that these things will stand fast. This is, I uh, believe in Colossians, by His, the power of his word, these things consist. It means they won't fail. They won't. Does that make you stand in awe of God? It does me. You know, we don't have to go into a great, uh, we don't have to have some kind of a great education to just know those few simple truths, do we? What happens when we do go get an education? What happens? (laughs) We get confused, don't we? And we start looking at, and trusting others. But see, the Lord says we got to be converted. we got to go back to a simple mindset, to knowing just simple truths. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Do you know that's, a, that's something that I can tell my six-year-old back there? and She'll just believe it. Isn't that amazing? She'll just believe it. I don't have to try to prove it to her. You know why? Because, see, faith is already written in your heart. That's how you believe it. If you don't have faith in it, you, ain't gonna believe it. You gotta have faith to believe it. But that's just a simple truth, and that's what God desires from us each and every day of our lives. He desires for us to wake up in the morning and to be in awe of Him. He's the one that gave you the breath to wake up. He's the one that gave you the strength. To get out of bed. He's the one that gave you a mind to praise him. He not only that. He's the one that gave us this. This time. This earth. He's the one that gave us our loved ones. Our children. Our family. Our friends. Our our moms. Our dads. He's the one that gave it all to us. And all that he wants in return is for us and our minds to dwell on him and all. And to praise him. Do you know when you dwell on someone like my little girl. But when I dwell on God in awe, I'm giving him praise. I am magnifying his glory in my mind. That's what he wants. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's not anything very difficult. You know, if I was to stand up here and tell you, well, you know what, you can be a, a member of the church here. But, you know, we got to we got a, you're going to have to read your Bible. And then you're going to have to write me a dissertation of every book in the Bible, all 66 books. and then when we get to the New Testament, I'm going to need a little bit more. You know what's funny about that is the church will probably be fuller. And that sad, you remember Naaman? You remember Naaman was a, a general of the Syrian army and he had leprosy. <coughs> And you remember, he went to uh, the prophet, was it Elijah or Elisha, y'all forgive me, one or the other. And the prophet said, just just go down to Jordan and wash seven times. Naaman didn't like that answer. Jordan was a muddy river and he wasn't from that area and he basically got mad. He said, why can't I go back and, uh, you know, why can't I slay, you know, this? And he wanted to accomplish something great to receive this great blessing of not, of not having leprosy anymore. But that's not what it was about. It wasn't about what man could do to, get, to gain a blessing. It was about the Lord can give you a blessing or really nothing because that's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. And that's what I think the prophet, and y'all forgive me, I'll go back and read that. It's in Kings. He said, well, "What what if I had told you to do that? What if I had told you to go and slay slay this army?" And what if I'd have told you to go and to, and to wash uh, over here in this, this uh, crystal clear river? You know, what if I'd have told you? You would have done it! But all I said was go down and wash seven times in the old dirty river Jordan. And you didn't like that answer. <coughs> That's not about what we can do towards God. It's about His grace He has towards us. But Damon listened You know, that's that's what I find so amazing about us. Sometimes we get in our mind, we're we're so willing. We think we're so willing. (laughs) We'll do anything for you, Lord. You know, Peter was like that. But you know, when Peter said, Lord, I'll die for you. He said, no, Peter, you're not. You're going to deny me. Not die for me. You're going to deny me. But then he also told him later, he said... But when thou art converted. Peter had walked with the Lord for years. And Peter was going to deny the Lord three times that night. But he says, but when thou art converted. He was going to experience something he had never experienced. And it was going to teach him something that he had never learned. But he had to learn it that way. He had to learn it by experience to be truly converted. He says, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He says, when you experience this and it burns this into your mind, you can't forget it now. It's going to convert you. He says, strengthen your brother. How do we strengthen others? We talk to them, don't we? How do we strengthen others? We tell them about our experiences. How do I strengthen my children? You know, I'm not really a fan of going back to the past because I know how bad I was. But you know, sometimes I tell my children about how bad I was because I don't want them to walk the same path I did. I know the Lord wasn't obligated to have mercy on me. But yet he did. And I want to talk about that mercy. I want to talk about that grace. I want to build my God up in her mind knowing that he was gracious to her day. And I didn't deserve it. Except you become as little children. This is something that we have to do. It's not something the Lord's going to do for you. He can. He can cause things in your life to happen where you do become as a little child. But generally speaking, this is something that you have to do for yourself. My question is this morning, are we willing? Are you willing? Am I willing? Am I willing to become as a little child? Or am I stubborn? And I'm just going to keep telling myself I got it. I got it handled. That's the struggle. That's what we struggle with each and every day. Ourselves. Do you have it? Or does God have it? Who you will to lean on? Your own understanding? Or his all-knowing? I have witnessed many and I forgot what they called it. I have witnessed many uh Uh, uh, rededications you ever witnessed a rededication I have I've witnessed and some I haven't witnessed lately and I think about this I really do now I've heard of a couple here lately with great repentance Lord really working on a heart And they came and wanted to rededicate and repent. I want to tell you folks, there's something that's very special about a public profession. There's something very special about public confession. Because see, not only does it uh, to our own minds, what it does is it, it makes us accountable not only to us, not only to God, but for our loved ones around us. It makes us accountable. And I'm going to tell you, that's why there are so many atheists out there because they don't want any accountability to God. But we are accountable to God. Just like my children are accountable to me and I'm accountable to my dad. We're accountable to each other. We're accountable to God. That's a great responsibility, isn't it? And I'm going to tell you, if you stay focused on that too long, it'll run you away. But see, the Lord gives us strength, does he not? You can't do these things without the help of God. You can't. You can't accomplish them on your own. You don't have the strength. But the Lord does. Philippians 4.13 tells us what? He says we can do all things, all spiritual things, all these things we've talked about this morning, through Him that strengtheneth us. If you have a mind to do something, I encourage you to do it. I really do. I encourage you to come. I encourage you to... Whatever's on your mind, I'm going to tell you. Aren't you glad today we're amongst people that love each other? And I'm going to tell you, the Lord... His love, we can't even... We can't really grasp. And His strength, we really can't grasp. But the Creator God has all power in heaven and in earth, gives us power, gives us strength. That's amazing. So this morning, as we... Think on these things. I want us to be in awe. I want to be in awe. I want to live day by day consistently thinking about how awesome my God is. Do y'all? It takes a dedication, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. It takes a discipline and a dedication. And if you're here this morning and you feel a, a burden, well, we're here for you. I'm here for you. I hope we're all here for you. But the one that's most important that's here for you is the Lord. And you can tell him anything because he knows everything. Amen. So I just want to encourage you to think on those things and to remember how awesome our God truly is. May the Lord bless you, my prayer.